everybody. Welcome to Cover 4 Live. I am Brandon Adams. Happy to have Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley, Mike Griffith on hand there as well. The entire band back together here as we talk about what has turned out to be a very busy week for news. A lot of this was kind of anticipated. I mean, it's really weird how much everything kind of exploded in terms of the reaction yesterday, given the fact that the rumors involving Burton had at least existed for a week because we talked about it on Dog Nation Daily exactly a week ago. Uh, obviously, the Daniels thing, Mike had reported on that a couple of days prior to it coming out. The Bennett thing, I, I don't think anybody could have been all that caught off guard by. Yet, nonetheless, boy, what a reaction it's been with the, I would say, the biggest news in terms of the thing that sets everybody off is the fact that Jermaine Burton goes in the transfer portal. Uh, JT Daniels, obviously, moving on to the transfer portal. Stetson Bennett coming back. Um, if y'all don't mind, let's start with the Burton part of this, I, I guess, first. Uh, Mike, what do you think it means for Georgia that Burton is looking elsewhere? You know, I think, like you said, Brandon, I think it was to be expected. You know, I, I think, and I said this before the show in the room, I, you know, Centel said last summer, Connor Riley said at some point, apparently Todd Gurley did too, that the best ability is availability. And, and one of the common threads I'm seeing in all these tra- – well, not all these transfers – but the majority of these transfers are these are players who have been injured and missed time. Mm-hmm. And, and I just don't think Kirby Smart is, is a guy that, that, you know, waits and and pampers. And, you know, look, if a guy's injured once and he gets re-injured again, you know, and there's a healthy guy, it, it's time to move on. You know, Burton had been move, working with the twos all year. And I thought that was curious that he wasn't reinstated with the ones. And then you look at the target shares and, and, uh, you know, look, you understand he wants to be in a high-volume offense. I saw Terrence Edwards on your show earlier. You know, kids want stats. I mean, this is where we're at. And, you know, something that I talked about before was, you know, again, you know, Kirby's second halves. He, he'd rather run the clock than keep throwing to receivers. And receivers want the ball. Those are snaps that could be going to receivers. And, you know, hey, he won a national title, though. But And, and, and listen, he's going to reload. There's going to be somebody better than Jermaine Burton coming in. That, that's what we don't – you know, you don't know that yet. You know, we haven't seen what Kirby's bringing in yet. So, I would say I'm, I wouldn't panic. So, expected, understood, and certainly uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any panic button being pushed. What do you think, uh, Jeff, about the uh, whole deal? Obviously, Burton, yeah, yeah, Burton's the guy you covered for a long time. Yeah, I'm just going to call it what it is. I, I'm going to just kind of be straight down the middle here with this. Jermaine Burton just wasn't a good fit for Georgia. I mean, the way he maybe wasn't the most physical blocker out on the edges, the way that he was indifferent sometimes about, um, you know, getting it, getting and playing a lot. Uh, you, you know, Jermaine Burton was a guy that links up to what everybody thought was the holy grail for Georgia's football offense, and that was 45 passes per game and receivers getting targets and multiple thousand-yard receivers. Now – Proof will be kind of in the pudding here, whether that's an aberration or – this is some of the smartest stuff I've heard this week because there's been a – I've heard there's been uh, a toxic minority versus a glorious majority. Um, but here's, here's what I'd just look at it, guys. It's Kirby's, it's Kirby's football team. I mean, it's the University of Georgia's team, but that gummit, that's the way he wants to play football. He's won a national championship doing it. He's brought in the pieces that he thinks will fit, and – you know, for, for everything, and I think Jeremy, Jermaine Burton's a great dude, a great kid, a uh, great family, uh, but it just wasn't blossoming for him at Georgia the way he wanted him to. And, you know, Georgia won the national championship, and if Jermaine Burton thinks that he can get something better for his career, he can perfect his profession somewhere else, have at it, man, because he's already been on a team that brought Georgia the national championship, and now he wants to see if he can bring himself a first-round contract. Connor, how about a general thought from you before we dive a little deeper into this? 
Yeah, one, and I wrote about this today, Georgia's got to find some stability in this wide receiver room. And whether it be guys being healthy because that room was as banged up as it was all season long or the exodus of, of players in the transfer portal from that position eight in the last two cycles, and they may not be done there. It, it, it's just it, – it's a position where – and, yes, Georgia did it their way, but you look at Clemson, you look at Alabama, you look at Ohio State, even LSU, the one year they won it in 2019 – consistently great wide receiver play has been a running theme through the college football playoff champions throughout the sort of brief history that we have here. Now, is Georgia going to be able to consistently do that and replicate that? We'll be interested to see how that goes in years going forward. But at the same point in time, I think back to the 2019 season where there just wasn't a lot of talent in the wide receiver room and they were very reliant on George Pickens that season. And, and so when you don't have that wide receiver talent there, it makes the rest of the offense a lot more predictable, a lot easier to stop, which is, I think, what we saw that season, even with a great offensive line, great running back in DeAndre Swift, and a capable quarterback in Jake Fromm. When you don't have those guys on the outside, it makes your offense as a whole a lot more one-dimensional. Yeah, you know, uh, Mike, to go along with what Connor was saying there a moment ago, I mean – I don't mind telling you, I think there's been a little bit of an overreaction to the part of some fans to some of this. However, the one thing, and I said this this morning on Dog Nation Daily, I'm more than happy to acknowledge that there seems to be kind of a general perception around Georgia that it's more fun to play defense in this program than it is to play offense, that when you have guys that come back for senior season, it seems like a lot of times that is a defensive guy, you know, guys like Nolan Smith and Christopher Smith, and I think that's really good news for UGA. But much the same way a year ago, it's Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. There is this thought of, oh, an attraction to come back to Georgia for defensive guys. Whereas for offensive guys, there's a long list of guys that leave after their junior year, for relatively strange reasons. I'm talking about predating the transfer portal, whether it's Jake Fromm or, or McCall Hardman, Riley Ridley, you know, Elisha Holyfield, you know, Isaac Nada guys kind of leave sometimes. You're left to wonder, man, it seems like they could have benefited themselves from staying. Do they just not want to be here anymore? I mean, I will say that it's fair to say that for all the success Georgia's enjoyed, even predating the national championship, there is a little bit of perception around here that it's more fun to play defense in red and black than it is to play offense. And one way or another, that might be something that Georgia wants to try to maybe bring a little bit more balance to over the course of the next couple of seasons. I'm absolutely willing to acknowledge that. Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, part of it is is just the participation chart, right? I mean, Dan Lanning did a great job. What was it? 23 guys with 300 snaps. I mean, there's a lot of that, you know, kind of substituting. You know, I, I think the offense uh, has, has been unsettled. I think it's been very conservative. I don't think it's, again, being frank, I don't think it's friendly to receivers. They don't get a lot of volume. Terrence Edwards talked about that today. And, you know, he can say that people don't draft on numbers, but numbers don't hurt. And guys like to be involved. Receivers don't want to be outside blockers. You know, I think uh, you know, Jeff talked about how he didn't really fit the mold. He wasn't that physical guy blocking on the perimeter, you know, like Kirby Smart wants the receivers to do. So I, I think that's part of it. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think there's just more of an unsettled nature of, you know, what is this offense? I mean, you know, what we saw at the end of last year wasn't what we saw, the you know, in the Clemson game, albeit JT was hurt. We didn't know that. But even when Stetson came in, then it goes from, Five wide air raid to three tight end, you know, more of a run pass ratio goes from 1.8 to one to 1.2 to one. You become more of a run team around 100th in the country and run pass. So I, I think, BA, that it's just hard 
harder for offensive players to, to really get into any kind of rhythm. We've had a lot of different offensive coordinators when I think ultimately Kirby Smart, you know, regardless of whose name's on the nameplate, I think the Georgia defense has a certain personality and characteristic because of Kirby. So I'm going to ask this, and it's going to sound like a sarcastic question, and I really don't intend for it to be. I want to have a conversation about this. And, Connor, let me go to you first on this, and I'll, I'll come back to Jeff on it. You, I mentioned, a moment ago you mentioned getting receivers more involved. I think that's one of the things that the average fan really wants. They want Georgia to be the kind of place that receivers can flourish uh, a little bit more. So let's say that happened. Like, what happens then? Like, does Georgia win the super-duper national championship? Like, like, what is the thing that happens if the receivers get more involved? And I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm really trying to figure out, like, what level of achievement is unlocked once Georgia has receiver play become a more prominent profile of the program. I, I truly don't understand what is on the other side of that. Would you mind speaking to that since you brought it up? People find something else to complain about. I mean, that's that's as simple as what it is. I, you know, but I will say, looking at this 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 2022 team, if you want to spin it forward towards that, Mike mentions that they're going to get somebody better out of the portal. I'd maybe caution against against that. Just given, and Kirby Smart has said this before, some of the dangers that exist with the portal is you don't have a whole lot of control of who is going to be in there, and so it's hard to predict. You know what kind of wide receiver that fits the profile that Georgia is looking for and Jeff touch on culture fit there. That's going to fit the culture at Georgia is going to possibly be in the transfer portal for them to go out and get. I thought their wide receiver was already a position that they were going to target even before the Burton news. And now you see him even more likely to do so. I will know there's some guys that if they're able to stay healthy and it's a big, if I do think could help in this room, I think Arian Smith is a really talented football player. He just has to stay on the field something he hasn't done. I'll say the same for Dominic Blaylock and, you know, a full healthy off season for him could be really big. I, I will, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll taste the forbidden fruit. I think this means a lot for a real Gilbert and how you potentially go about getting him reintegrated with this team in this offense. Because when you lose a guy like Jermaine Burton, you know, Georgia's offense had four plays over 50 yards and it's two college football playoff games. The guys that made those plays were James Cook, George Pickens and Jermaine Burton. All of those guys are not going to be on the roster next year. So you got to find someone who is able to make those explosive plays. And at this point in time, I'm not sure who is able to do that on a consistent basis. You know, Jeff, in the comment section a moment ago, Roxanne Moody said, listen, we just want to see a high power, she called it air raid offense. It's not necessarily complaining. They just want to see, and she says, Georgia fans just want to see an offense that's entertaining. Once again, I'm not trying to be sarcastic about this. I, I'm, I'm trying to have a real conversation here is that when I look at the teams that I think best represent that in college football that kind of play at a similar level that Georgia does, I'm looking at three teams. I'm looking at Alabama, I'm looking at Ohio State, I'm looking at Oklahoma. And for all like the, I think, obsession that a lot of Georgia fans have with Alabama, the fact is, over the course of the last four years, both Georgia and Alabama have won the same number of national championships. Bama has won one in the last four years. Gave up 48 twice in 2019 that kept them out of the college football playoff shut down the national championship game in both 2018 and 2021, their resume over the last four years is actually not that dissimilar to Georgia. Oklahoma has never won a national championship, at least in this playoff age, and I don't believe they ever will. Uh, Ohio State has won a playoff national championship since 2014. We're going on in like a seven-year period here. So I, I think it's worth discussing if the transition to a more wide receiver-dominated offense, the kind of thing that Roxanne a moment ago called a little bit more of an air raid type thing, and whether you get into the semantics of that, just something that's more up-tempo and more explosive in terms of 
big passing plays, things like that. I actually don't know that the evidence is as strong as some people think that in the current state of college football, the season that we just had and the recent season go along with that, that that contributes quite as much to winning as some people think that it does. Well, you know, Brandon, so, there's a... I was just going to say, so do you think it's not a problem that Jermaine Burton transferred? I think it is a problem. I would say it's more of a problem with the current system of college football where I say this way, where guys like that are allowed to do that more so than I think it's some sort of indictment about Georgia here. I think that uh, Burton's been filled with a lot of things that are probably false promises and I hope it works out for him. Uh, but ultimately, if he was as good as Brock Bowers, he'd be putting up the numbers that Brock Bowers is putting up. And listen, I- I'm sorry that's not working for Jermaine Burton, but it is working for Georgia overall. They d- Take the fact they won the national championship out of the discussion for a moment. And, and Mike, I see your hand up. I'll, I'll let you respond to this. And then, Jeff, I promise I'll give you a chance to speak here too in a minute. But, I mean, take the fact they won the national championship out of the equation. Georgia was ninth in the country in points per game this year out of 130 teams. Uh, you know, they only scored a half point per game less than an Oklahoma team that a lot of folks say, oh, that's the end-all, be-all for offense. But the fact of the matter is Oklahoma fans spent a lot of this year upset with their offense too, um, that I actually think the Georgia offense is working. And I'm sorry that Jermaine Burton doesn't think it's working for him, but I think the offense overall is, is, is kind of working. Uh, Mike, you had your hand up. You can jump in here. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think this is more quarterback-centric and when we drill down deep into – the targets and what coaches do is they build an offense around the strengths and weaknesses of their personnel. And if we, if we want to go all the way back to why JT and I, you know, look, receivers were out. Kirby was frustrated. How do you run five wide receiver sets when you've only got six healthy receivers? I'm sure Connor can reflect back on those team press conferences early in the year when the receivers kept getting hurt. He had brand new guys out there. JT's banged up. Look, you got a stock of running backs. You got three great tight ends. You know, rocket science. Kirby gets the best guys out there. But but when I say quarterback centric, BA, this is what I'm talking about. Mac Jones last year, right? Joe Burrow the year before. Trevor Lawrence the year before. Uh, Jalen Hurts and Tua the year before. Deshaun Watson the year before. The trend has been for elite quarterback play and passing games to win championships. And I think we'd all drawn the conclusion, and we heard Nick Saban say it, that, hey, you know, offense is the way to go. And I think what offense does is it gives you a larger margin for error. Now, Georgia did win this year, albeit, you know, they got they got toasted pretty good when Bama had two healthy receivers in the SEC title game. I'm not saying they wouldn't have won the second time around because I saw a different level of commitment from that defense in the front. But I think that's where people are going is why can't Georgia have – that guy and i'm sorry jeff i didn't mean to to interject ahead of you but go ahead no man uh brendan i I think the thing for me is it will become a real concern i I think there's a a little there's a little push button right here where people and you talk to uh, this fan base all the time far more than we do brandon is it the style points or is it the points it's the style points people want right because this offense is averaging 40 points per game close to it the way it is now, it fits certain definition of explosive. Really, the only thing George is not doing is they're not showcasing a thousand yard receiver. That's one one point. My my main point is this, and I'm just gonna this this just looks real simple to me, folks. There's no one transferring out of the University of Georgia that was a major contributor and a major cog in what Georgia was doing. Now Burton made it caught a ball in the national championship. He was a sneaky good threat. 
lots of times in big spots in games. The talent there was obvious. But if you had to if you had to do a depth chart to me of the the most important wide receivers of Georgia's national championship, especially the last three or four games, I think he's fighting with George Pickens to be the number three receiver. You've got A.D. Mitchell in there. You've got Lad McConkey in there. You've got Brock Bowers as a quote-unquote tight end that is the probably the most effective receiver Georgia has. But I think folks should start worrying. Um, and I'm trying to – let me try to recap a lot of things I see in the comments. Yes, Eric Gilbert is back. He's attending school. He was an academic player of the week. He was in the podium. He was in the gray jumpsuit celebrating and going through the dog walk the other day. Um, and lots of people are talking about they're still not done celebrating and good for them. Uh, but when you look at all this stuff to me, Brandon, this is not an issue of a guy transferring that was a major part of the roster. And also, uh, folks are trying to keep scrolling. I see the same comment over and over, uh, <laughs> trying, trying to facilitate the readers here a little bit. But uh, I think Georgia's going to have a defense like this, folks, every two or three years. The players are that good. The recruiting is that good. They're figuring out, dialing in the exact type of bodies and players they want. In two or three years, Georgia will have first-round picks on the offense, on excuse me, on the defensive back end at linebacker and all three levels of the defense. They'll have multiple first-round picks. It'll look a lot different. They won't have a Jordan Davis, but they'll have much, much better talent in the secondary. So a minute ago, Connor, Mike brought up Trevor Lawrence in 2018. He was 30 touchdowns, four interceptions that year. Bennett this year, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's one fewer touchdown, three more picks. Not as good in numbers, and obviously no one thinks that Bennett's on his way to being the number one overall pick the way that Trevor Lawrence did in his freshman season. But I think it kind of speaks to the point that I'm kind of trying to get, get to here is, so what if the Georgia offense was better? Like, what then? Like, what if instead of winning by 17 points, you won by 27 points? Like, and I'm not saying that Georgia shouldn't win games by as wide a margin as it can, but I have a hard time believing that all this is about the fact that Georgia's only winning by 17 points per game when it could be winning by 27 points per game. That feels like a consternation over how, you know, much of a laugher these games are going to be in, in the fourth quarter. I, I truly don't understand what the difference would even be. Well, one, uh, I think it's unfair to bring up Trevor Lawrence's season-long stats, especially when you look at how he played against Alabama in that national championship game compared to how Stetson played. Uh, I, I don't think that's a fair comparison. But to your larger point, offense is just – it's its more cool. It's more sexy. People would rather see games be won 45-20 than, than 38-13. I mean, that's just – they want to see points put on the board there. And I'll say this with regards to the 2022 team – I know there's still going to be a lot of talent on this defense, but you don't lose N'Kobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Channing Tindall, Lewisine, Darian Kendrick, and keep that same level of defensive intensity to start the season. Georgia's going to have to win more games, say 38 to 20, as opposed to winning them 31 to 13 a season ago. And so can they, in my opinion, maintain and even build off the offensive numbers that they had this season, especially when, if you and this is a stat I actually do believe in, Georgia had the shortest average touchdown drive in the country in terms of mm -hmm. yards they needed to gain for a touchdown. That matters over the course of the season and accumulating those points. And so I, I do think this offense is going to have to be better a season from now. And it, they have some explosive players that they're going to have to replace, including Jermaine Burton now among them. Uh, Jeff, you had your hand up. Go ahead. Yeah, just a little perspective bubble here. I think it's always good to interject this stuff. Guys, did you ever think George would win a national championship and 10 to 12 days out we would be walking through the weeds like this the way we are? 
I mean, I, I think everybody gets it. I hope everybody gets it. But talk about first pro- first world programs, first world problems, and you want to talk about championship program problems right now. Uh, I think we've arrived at that point where not even two weeks after the national championship, we've got a wide cross-section of fears, doubts, worries, disbeliefs about what Georgia just did and whether they can do it again. Mike, go ahead. You know, Jeff, I think that's more of a byproduct of the NIL and the one-time transfer. I I don't think Georgia fans are are, are psychotic or or any more nervous than anyone else. I think this is going to be something that's going to happen until they standardize when this free agency slash transfer window is. I think every program is going to, you know, every championship program is going to be losing players after their championship and have the same concerns. You know, especially the way it's working right now with, with you know, the, the bidding and, you know, like Miami. OK, for example, with the LLC that their boosters formed and, you know, 20 million dollars in there now. And that's the pool to go out and form NILs for players. Now, the universities can't be directly involved, whatever, wink, wink. But now these schools are going to have these pools. And, and I think this is going to be a regular issue for everyone. And I just think George is at the tip of the spear because this is the first year that we've really had this proliferation of, of transfers and NIL action. That, that really wasn't something that happened in, to this degree in past year. That's my thought on that. I definitely think the transfer portal stuff is just really anxiety producing for a lot of people. And I'll also add this. Mike mentioned the idea of a transfer window. I know that gets talked about. Honestly, here's the thing I'm in favor of. I like to keep things simple when possible. We just need to go back to having National Signing Day be in February on one day as God intended and if, if you did that, all of the news that's happened over the course of like from like, say, December 15th to now, if all of that news happened, but it happened in a different order, that alone would make people feel better. If, if the transfer losses occurred, then the signing day occurred. Like if you had a chance to add players on the basis of who you lost, then everything would just feel a little bit more sensible as crazy and wild and kind of out of control as right now I think the current transfer portal stuff is if national signing day was in February, the way it's supposed to be, Jeff, some of that would make things just a little bit more sensible because you'd have a chance to respond when you lose guys. I think that's what a lot of people are bringing up that that I I see it in the comments. They want to know, well, who's on their way? Who is Georgia filling the gaps with and filling the bridges with like, you know, if, if Jermaine Burton goes somewhere, then this other pro prospect from, Nevada or from Michigan State or from Eastern Michigan would be transferring to Georgia who kind of fits the mold of what folks are looking for. And I I just don't think it's that it's not like the Dow. It's not like day trading where it's going to happen like that for for Georgia folks. I I would imagine um, with my grasp of things here, there's not going to be three or four names that come into Georgia from the portal, at least not initially, that are going to make people feel a whole lot better about all this. So Gary and Christian Gulasano, a great commenter uh, a moment ago, brought this up. Said, B.A., I want an honest answer from you on this. Do you think that George would have a better chance of winning the 2022 National Championship with Caleb Williams compared to Stetson Bennett? I have no problem telling you I believe that Caleb Williams is a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett. I've got no problem telling you that. I think that Williams is probably the number three quarterback prospect outside the NFL right now behind uh, Stroud and, and, and Young, the Ohio State and Alabama quarterback. But my stipulation of this, though, would be this, Connor. If Georgia had Oklahoma's offense, I don't believe it's the national champion right now. That Nick Saban's big proclamation a couple of years ago that you're not going to win anything with running the ball and playing defense, 
I think the history just sort of proves that to be wrong. Kirby almost won it that way in 2017, did win it that way in 2021. The average points per drive across the country this year actually went down. We were at 2.3 points per drive in college football at the FBS level here this year. That's lower than it's been in previous years. The first year in a while, we've had actually had a downtick in that. I think Nick Saban over, overstated years ago, and as recently as last year, the degree to which um, offense was completely taking over the sport. And it's not lost on me that Oklahoma, who's been great offensively, has never had a good defense. And as programs like Alabama and Ohio State have gotten better, their defenses have gotten worse. That All of this works in concert with each other. And while, yeah, in a fishbowl by itself, I like the idea of Caleb Williams as a quarterback, but I don't mind telling you, I wouldn't want Oklahoma's offense here in uh, Athens because I think it's been proven to be deficient when it comes to trying to win a national championship. Otherwise, it already would have. I, I think it's interesting, you know, one, I don't think Caleb Williams is coming to Georgia. I'm, sure. I'd be willing to put a lot of money down that he's going to the University of Southern California to go play with Lincoln Riley. And two, look at how Georgia won its national championship. It won it by winning in the fourth quarter. That's something that Kirby Smart has talked about for years is sort of an identity of this program. And what do you want your identity to be? I know Kirby Smart doesn't want his identity to be, hey, let's go out and get the best mercenaries every year and build it on a one-year, you know, we're going to take this one year at a time. No, he wants to bring guys in from the high school ranks, develop them over the period of years that they're in Athens, and that's how he wants to build this program. And I'd point out here as well, and obviously it's a, it's a little different, but if you're banking on your ability to evaluate how a quarterback is going to fit in your system – Go look at what happened to Clemson this year when you might miss on that evaluation and what it does to your entire program because mm -hmm. DJ Uyunglele this year proved not to be the guy that everyone at Clemson thought he was going to be. And that took Clemson from being a, a program everyone here on this panel can, considered a year-in, year-out title contender to a program now that is facing a lot of questions about how it navigates forward when it doesn't have a generational quarterback back there pulling the strings. So when it comes to the quarterback and to the larger offensive point there, Kirby Smart knows what he wants this program to be. He's built it out to be that. He won a national championship for this this year. It runs counter to what everyone else is doing in college football right now, but if it continues to work, he's earned the right to continue to do that without having to make any sort of sacrifices or changes. Mike, in the comment section, Rodney Stephen Council brings up, he says, I'm wrong because if you gave Oklahoma Georgia's defense to go along with that offense – they'd be winning national championships. That's not how football works, y'all. This is not a Madden video screen. Everything that happens over the course of a 60-minute football game is connected. And, yeah, Georgia plays a little slower offensively uh, than some of the other teams in the country do, but they do so because they want to have a great defense. As I said before. Brandon, you realize you and I have flip-flopped in the last three years. I remember us having this conversation in 2018. And I don't mind telling you, Mike, that um, that if you want to go back to, like, say, a couple of years ago for sure, I don't mind telling you that I think I got it wrong at the time, that that I did – like, I was so frustrated. People think I don't ever say anything bad about Georgia. The truth is, you can go back and listen to some of the things I was saying in 2019. was not fun. I was so frustrated with Georgia that I, that I couldn't stand it. I mean, I just felt like that's an offense that didn't work. They're scoring about 21 points per game in SEC play. Like, that's – I can't go back ever – to that again but i think at the time i was buying into this notion that listen you did need to play the seven on seven brand of football you did need to do that but honestly 
I was wrong. And Kirby Smart, to his credit, uh, appears to have been right. Look who won the Big Ten this year, the team that played the better defense in, in Michigan. Look who won the Big 12 this year. Defense has even kind of crept, crept, is that the word I'm looking for here? Crept back yeah. into that league a little bit uh, with what uh, 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 what's-his-face is doing at Baylor. And, you know, even Oklahoma State actually played, you know, halfway decent defense this year. But there's a little bit of a return to defense in the sport uh, of college football right now. And, you know, as, as Georgia's gotten a little better offensively without sacrificing very much defense defensively, I truly think they found the right recipe here this year. I think they were the absolute least fun team in the country to play. And, you know, they were kind of in that Goldilocks zone of just enough offense to go along with just enough defense. Almost no team in the country was anywhere near as balanced. In fact, and I, I'll stop talking after this, for most of the season, Alabama was the only other team in the country that was in the top 10 of both offensive and defensive FPI. Like, it's not a secret why George won the national championship. They were the best team in the country on both sides of the ball. I'm talking about the way in which uh, both sides complemented each other. Anybody else, feel free to jump in. I'll talk to you You know what? I think, Brandon, and hit me with opinions about this, but we're watching a lot of NFL football right now, and what do we believe the high-level college football playoffs are? It's those schemes those NFL players take over. And so what what makes these NFL teams great, especially on playoff Saturdays and Sundays, is that they have the ability to to win either way. They can play any type of game you want them to play. And for everybody harping about, you know, Kirby and tight ends and now Kirby and number one receivers and – the prolific quarterbacks or whatever. Riddle me this. Tell me, tell me a unit this year that was demonstrably better at trying to win a game through the air and then have the also have the right hand or the left hand to just bludgeon a team with the guys up front and the backs in the backfield. A little bit of spice from the quarterback position. If you look at what Munkin built, you know, his resume is padded on NFL pedigree, NFL offensive coordinator, NFL time. He was great at Southern Miss. He diversified his offense with backs and multiple receivers all getting multiple touches and lots of yards. I mean, I think one of the things that's probably going to go underrated about this or understated about this Georgia football team is the ability where, like, look at the end of the game. When they had to score really fast and put points on the board, they did. Somehow Stetson and and A.D. Mitchell and Brock Bowers and everybody put it together with the run game, and it all clicked. But before that, they could get in a field goal slobber knocker with Alabama where they were trading paint the whole game. I really think Georgia found something this year with maybe that's not going to win every year against a generational LSU offense or an Alabama offense. But when, when what they had together on offense, I thought was always effective. And I think, I, I, forgive me, I remember the scoreboard is what really matters in college football. I mean, I've got a piece, Brandon, and I'm going to drop a couple of days from now where I talk to every wide receiver, every elite All-American wide receiver that Georgia was like this close with. And they said some pretty damning things about Georgia. They mm-hmm. said one of them said something to the effect of, you know, why I didn't go to Georgia, man, is because I looked at the stats. I looked at the stats and the tight end had 800 yards receiving and all the other receivers had 250 yards receiving. And he's like, I don't need to go to Georgia. I'm a wide receiver. And it just frustrates me at times when this is the team that brought home the prize everyone had waited for. And now everybody's picking apart and autopsying about how they did it. In some ways, stubborn as Kirby Smart might be, he had a Frank Sinatra season this year. He won the national championship his way. All right, let's talk about quarterbacks for a moment because we really haven't done that very much yet. We've kind of talked around quarterback, but haven't gotten specific into it. 
First of all, on the idea that JT Daniels is leaving, I, I really don't have a ton to say about this because, I mean, Mike, when you were with me on Wednesday on Dog Nation Daily, we were essentially talking about this at the time as it had already happened. So now it's just simply uh, official. Uh, obviously, you've covered you know the the Daniels story very closely. I mean, what what do you think of JT moving on? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, he recognized that that he wasn't uh, a guy that fit Kirby's vision. You know, I, I mean, he did until he didn't. He was the guy until he wasn't. He was the guy that they, uh, you know, brought to media days and, and Kirby wanted to give this newfangled offense thing a try and nobody could stay healthy. Receivers couldn't stay healthy. Quarterback couldn't stay healthy. Couldn't build any consistency, um, you know, from the time JT got hurt. I mean, it was uh, – you know, it was tough. I really think even from the time JT came in, right? I mean, I think Kirby had a comment in there that he expected him to be ready for Arkansas, and he wasn't. And, and, and that's got to be frustrating. You know, you start, you know, Dwan Mathis, and you throw in Stett, and Stett wins some games, and, you know, Kirby sticks with him. It doesn't really pull JT in. I mean, that was then, right? And then, and then you know, I don't need to reconstruct the whole thing, but, you know, I, I think Kirby wants consistency and continuity at the position, and JT's injuries history did not offer him that. And I think JT recognized that even if he stayed, there was no way he could trust Kirby Smart because Kirby – and Kirby doesn't ask you to. He tells you, hey, look, every week it's competition. I don't care who you are. DeAndre Swift sat behind Elijah Holyfield because he had a groin injury. I mean, just – you know, it, it, you've got to be there. He doesn't BS around, man. you got to – Amir Speed, see ya. He was, he was AWOL the last, second half of the season. He's a starter at the beginning. He doesn't discriminate. It's not just offense. Honestly, whatever happened to Latavius Brainy? Anybody got a milk carton? I mean, guys just disappear. You, you, if you blow it, you lose trust, you get injured, you know, that's it. You don't show up at practice. Hey, injured guys, they didn't go to practice. Too much of a distraction, Kirby told them. I mean, listen, it sounds ruthless, but this is a shark tank, man. You're trying to win the SEC. There's no room for nice guys. The nice guys are like Centel covering recruiting. People in the comments blowing him up because he looks worried. He's not worried. He's just grounded. He knows what's coming, um, just like B.A. and Connor and myself. But all I'm saying is don't panic. J.T.'s out because J.T. didn't fit Kirby's vision. Kirby's looking in the portal for the next great quarterback. The guys that are here, Bennett, uh, Beck. Beck's sticking it out. Hey, listen, right now, I put odds on right now. Beck, don't be surprised if Beck doesn't have more pass attempts than anybody in the G-Day game. And Carson Beck's sticking it out for a reason, man. So, and we'll see iron sharpens iron, B.A. So that's kind of my whole quarterback spiel. It's not a concern for Georgia. Somebody good is going to be under center against the Ducks. I don't think it's going to be Bennett. I'm more inclined to think it would be Beck, Vandergriff, or what's behind door number three on let's make a deal. And not, he's not even here yet. You know, Connor, speaking as a fan here for a moment, speaking as a fan here for a moment, like I just have no feelings about the Daniels thing whatsoever. When JT came here, I had a lot of optimism about what he might be able to be. I mean, he just seems like he's just had one bad, you know, piece of luck after another with the injuries that he's dealt with. And frankly, he didn't play this year. And gosh knows we've talked plenty about, you know, why he did, why he didn't. I absolutely understand the idea that JT would want to play somewhere. So moving on to get his chance to do that, I got no – grievance with that really the burton thing is i think pretty disappointing i just think that's a poor reflection on the current state of you know college football but the daniels thing it just sort of is what it is of course a guy that's not playing would go somewhere else it just that especially when you've only got one more bite at this apple before you 
try to move on to the NFL, of course you would go on and try to do it somewhere else. I mean, as I said before, I have almost no emotion about that whatsoever because it just seems obvious that's always what he was going to do. Right. And I mean, there can only be one quarterback that plays at a time. And Stetson got better this year. He was not the quarterback that we saw in, in 2020. And I believe JT Daniels is going to be a very good quarterback wherever he ends up next season for a variety of reasons. It, it didn't work out as, at Georgia, as Mike, as Mike sort of said and also alluded to. I, I don't want to say JT was a bad culture fit. He was a great soldier and deserves to be commended for the way he interacted around this team when he was not playing because we've seen a lot of guys mope and not be happy about that. And I even wrote about this a little bit today. Go look at the relationship that, say, Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo had when they were both in New England. Compare that to Stetson and and what JT had. Those guys, I think, actually like each other and and understand the reality of the situation. And and it it speaks a lot to who JT is as a person that, you know, I don't think he's holding a whole lot of grudges. It just it didn't work out for him. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. I think a lot of injuries in life, it's just luck-based. You, you can have it for a while, and then you sort of see like Brett Favre at the end of his career, it just disappears. Peyton Manning started every game from basically 1998 to 2012, and then he has a bunch of neck injuries. It, you know, health is something that it goes up and down. And as far as it relates to JT Daniels in this quarterback room, you know, if he's healthy, it's a totally different story. And, and Georgia still probably finds a way to win a national championship. But at the same point in time, I think with what you saw from Stetson Bennett this year, the improvements that he made – it's not unreasonable to think that, hey, maybe he can even find some ways to get better next season and continue to improve and maybe make that offensive jump that they need to make going into next season. So before Jeff jumps in here, somebody in the comment section mentioned it must be cold in my house because I got the hooded thing on and the scarf. <laughs> the truth is, with the fire burning in the fireplace and the scarf on, I'm actually burning up like I'm pouring sweat right now. But the scarf is kind of part of my brand as it is, so I have to keep it on. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm probably sweating like, crazy here but i sort of have to keep it on there for right now uh, i want to talk more specifically about stats in a moment but jeff uh i think you wanted to jump in on what connor said there first yeah uh want to answer a question i saw in there i think the number is seven i think there'll be seven freshmen that make an in- that make a decided impact on this team next year um and i just it just occurred to me and that was what I, my smirk or my smile was for brandon do you realize that that really since kirby smart has been the coach at georgia there have been only two seasons where there was not uncertainty or doubt or controversy or twists around the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. The first one was Jacob Eason. I'm going to give him, he had the clean slate, but the other one was a dreadful season in 2019, which we already discussed 21 points per game in sec play. Maybe this culture thrives on a little bit of anarchy or chaos at the quarterback position. That's why everybody's wondering who it is and who's getting better. If you look at it, Georgia's best seasons, the best seasons, really the only non-very good seasons for Georgia have been when there was there was stability at the quarterback position rather than a general sense of if you ask 50 fans on the street, probably they'd name a cross-section of about three names about who should be the starting quarterback. Yeah, and so I'm sort of okay with that for next year. I mean, listen, I don't mind telling you this. I think Stetson Bennett coming back to Georgia is good news, and I think what he accomplished last season – and by last season, I mean the one that just occurred, is remarkable. It's truly the stuff of storybook. I mean, it really is. And I don't think his place in Georgia history can ever be questioned. But in the present tense, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, and now he comes back to be part of a quarterback competition. And, you know, whether that includes all the young guys that haven't really played that are part of that, you know, Mike has alluded to bring in a transfer name or 
whoever else is potentially a part of that, I think the competition is made better for having Stetson in it. And this is the one, I guess, somewhat snarky thing that I'll say, that if Bennett is as bad as some of the folks in our audience seem to think he is, then it shouldn't be a problem for somebody to beat him out, whether it's a transfer to the program or somebody that's on this roster or something like that, that if Bennett really is as problematic as some people suggest, then it ought to be pretty easy to beat him out based on what you know some people are saying. But one way or another, I think there ought to be an open competition. I believe there will be an open competition. And, Mike, I think the competition is made better by having Bennett in it. What do you think? You know, I don't think it hurts anything. I mean, he threw four passes in the spring game last year. And Carson, I think, threw 25 or 30. Carson beat him out. I mean, Carson was the two coming out. That's why Stetson was going to leave. And then he went to Kirby's office and, you know, asked if he could have another chance. Munkin was ready to get rid of him. And Kirby says, yeah, if you come back, you're going to compete. So he came back and fought his way up from third string and, and then the week of the UAB game and Kirby said Carson was the number two. And the next thing we know, Stetson trots out there and everybody's booing. And then the next thing you know, he's putting up five touchdowns in the first half. UAB coaches are looking at each other, trying to figure out what Todd Munkin just did to him. And the fans are looking at each other going, wow, Stetson Bennett's pretty good. And oh, by the way, who is this Brock Bowers guy? And then they say, well, if you read Centel's Intel, you would know. Um, I, I think having Stetson around is good because I think that I do think that while I don't, I think the, I think it's over exaggerated. I don't think the team necessarily carried him around on the shoulders throughout the week. Um, I think he's well liked. I think he's a good locker room guy. I think he's a good leader. And I think that that's a healthy quarterback room with Vandergriff and Beck and Bennett. And I think Gunnar Stockton will fit in there well too. I will say this if a quarterback transfer does come, and I agree with Connor, I think Caleb Williams is going to end up at USC and he's just leveraging us, you know, George's interest to get even more money out of USC. Uh, the dart kid, maybe um, if, if a transfer does land, then somebody else leaves out of that quarterback room. I don't know who it is, but as things sit with these four guys, I think you're looking at a team that wins the East and plays Alabama in the SEC title game. Brandon, I just want to, I keep saying this all the time and hopefully it doesn't sound repetitive, but it's about trying to build the best football team and it's not trying to have the best collection of pro talent. And it's a really simple equation for me is Georgia's football team better having Stetson and Bennett back. A guy that's won all those big games in the Orange Bowl, National Championship, road games in Knoxville, Auburn, places like that. The answer to me is obviously yes, Georgia is better with Stetson Bennett on this roster. It's another good player. I mean, can you you remember – like if Stetson Bennett doesn't come back, the whole thing is Georgia has a question at quarterback. They have an unproven starter. They have a guy that started zero games in the SEC. They have a guy, if it's Beck, he had that bad performance against UAB. Um, if, you, if it's a Vandegriff, he's never started yet. And, folks, if you want to win every game, if you want to be favored to win in every game by 12 points, which I think most of the folks on this broadcast that are watching still do, it's with Stetson Bennett. I mean, this is something we've never seen at Georgia football ever. The kid's going to be 25 years old. I say kid very, very tongue-in-cheek. But he's going to be 25 years old in October uh, when Georgia's playing big ball games in October. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen that before. And uh, he brings a little bit of hint, of hint of the mobility that everybody wants to see. And you got you to say, guys, he is a downright all-out gamer. And that's uh, – One, I would bring up that Todd Munkins actually had success with old quarterbacks before. Brandon Reedon was 28 in his 2011 season at Oklahoma State. I believe Chris Winkie won the Heisman 
as someone who was over the age of 25 yeah. when he was at Florida State. Yeah, he was going near 28 as well after having played minor league baseball. He was, he was, dude, he had a receding. He was. Hairline. He had a receding hairline. <laughs> Some of us have that by the time we're 28. Yeah. Um, this is more a question for BA because you brought this up last offseason and you wanted to see Kirby name JT the starter. Yeah. Do you think Kirby doing that, I think maybe had perhaps a negative impact on the way this quarterback room was discussed this season, just given, well, we thought JT was the guy. You told us JT was the guy. What happened when JT wasn't the guy? And would you like to see at some point this offseason, maybe say after spring, Kirby make again that same pledge of Stetson is our guy or you know, potentially Brock, Carson, Gunner, whoever that might be? That's a great question because last year I was adamant that Smart did the right thing by naming Daniels as the starter and actually building around him, something that Smart really hadn't done a whole lot before that. My personal opinion is this is the wrong year to do that. My personal opinion is um, – is you got to give this a chance to play out. And the honest truth is I actually think Bennett is going to be kind of tough to beat out. Mike said a moment ago he didn't think he'd start against um, uh, Oregon. I think the safest bet is to say that he probably would. We'll see what happens after that. But but I do think that Bennett's going to probably be tough to beat out. However, I also sort of think that somebody else – I'm taking injury off the table here. I sort of think somebody else is going to take very significant snaps – for Georgia on the field in 2022, um, I, I sort of think an open competition will cause the best man to eventually win. Thought that last year Georgia should have built around JT Daniels. I think the circumstances around this team are just a little bit different this year. But the other thing I'll say about Stetson Bennett here for a moment. So let's say that, you know, Vandegrift just doesn't really emerge or Carson Beck just doesn't really emerge. And, you know, the idea of some hero swooping in from another program and, you know, uh, you know, being the guy, that doesn't really happen. That Stetson Bennett is just the guy again. And let's say that Bennett doesn't even improve over what he did in 2021. Let's just say he's that same guy again, it's kind of same, similar numbers, similar things like that. Who is Georgia losing to? Um, I mean, you can That's, say, well, what about yeah. Oregon? What about Oregon week one? I mean, I know Oregon won at Ohio State, uh, you know, last, I should say, you know, Ohio State last year. Prior to that, when's the last time a big a Pac-12 team won a game east of the Rocky Mountains? That doesn't happen very much. Uh, there's not a single game beyond that in the regular season where, I mean, I know we're early in the process here, where I would expect Georgia to be much less than a double-digit favorite. I mean, I, I sort of feel like Georgia can be 12-0 and next season, even with Bennett doing what he did this year. And you can say, well, they're not going to beat Alabama, but surely we're not already worried about Georgia losing to Alabama next year after they just beat Alabama a few days ago, that just seems a little bit nonsensical to already be worried about a game next December that you just won with the guy that you think can't beat Alabama next year. Yeah, we think back to – and I've thought ahead of, to next season. Like, they're going to be 12-0, and 0, I, I believe, you know, barring a rash of injuries. They're going to be 12-0 and 0 going into that SEC championship game. They're going to be favored in every game that they play during the regular season next year. And – are you really going to keep a 12 and one? Let's say, God forbid, they do lose to Alabama. Let, are, are we sure 12 and one uh, SEC East champ with a win over Oregon, who's one of the more talented teams in the Pac 12, is going to be kept out of the playoff? I don't know. I don't think so. It, it, wasn't, it wouldn't have been this year. So I, I do think the one thing that I want to see from this quarterback room going forward is, is development. And we saw it with Stetson this year. And I'd like to see it with either Carson, Gunner, or Brock. Because, again, next year Stetson's last year no matter what. So 
2023, when I believe you open the season at Oklahoma in Norman, you're going to be starting a new quarterback there. I think we'd sort of like to have a better idea of, of what you have because we it, we just don't know what we have even in Carson Beck and much less in Brock Vandergriff. And if you want to draw a lot of conclusions from what Carson Beck did against UAB, I don't know if that's necessarily a fair evaluation on Carson's behalf there. So I, I do think development over the course of the season is going to be interesting. And I add this as well, you know, Mike talked about wanting to have more running backs or, or, or Kirby wanted to run the ball more in the second half there. I think there's a very real world where, say, Georgia only has four scholarship running backs this season. And if that's the case, you're not running them as much because, as you saw with Alabama and as Georgia fans from the 2013 season know, that running back room can get really thin really, really quickly if you're not careful there. So I actually do think that we're probably going to see Georgia maybe air it out a little bit more in this 2022 season to get more out of Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, whoever that essential number two quarterback is, because as Mike touched on as well, I do think we probably see another transfer from this quarterback room. So let's talk about the procedure of this here for a moment. You know, you can't have four quarterbacks competing equally for very long. That's just really hard to do. I mean, even uh, Gus Malzahn in his last year, knowing he was going to lose some transfers, he still whittled down his competition by the end of spring going back to his last year there to like what Gatewood and Knicks, whoever it was that, that ended mm-hmm. up being, you know, he more than allowed Malik Willis to transfer out of the program. And Willis ended up being a very good player at, at Liberty. You just can't have four quarterbacks competing for a job. I've always said the best quarterback competition is a veteran versus a sort of a youngish newcomer type guy. You know, Mike, how do you think they're going to decide between like a Carson Brock and uh, a Gunnar Stockton, you know, who is the most likely young guy to, if you just want to keep it to Stetson here for a moment, to battle alongside Stetson? Because between those guys, you got to kind of whittle it down in sort of a play-in game pretty quickly because there's just not enough practice reps to go around. Anybody who thinks they're going to have some knockdown drag out with four quarterbacks at, at practice, there's just not that many reps to go around. They're going to have to figure out who they want to kind of put a bet down on and give that guy more reps than the other guys. I think it's a knockdown drag out between Beck and Vandegrift and the loser leaves. And mm-hmm. and like last spring, because of Stetson's experience, I don't think he gets a lot of the reps. I think Brock, I think Vandegrift and Beck are going to get the majority of the reps. And I think uh, one of them is going to leave at the end of spring. The, the guy that, that emerges as the leader, I, I think he'll, you know, I think him and, uh, you know, Bennett and, I, you know, I just, you know, Gunnar Stockton is a fantastic prospect and, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, Jeff's stuff on him. I haven't seen the making of Gunnar Stockton yet. I'm sure that series is coming at some point. But, um, you know, he was prolific in high school. I'm not sure how quickly he translates. I, I don't want to write him off. I would agree. I would agree. But, but at the same time, um, you know, this is really, you know, if this is a one-year deal for somebody because in Kirby's mind, Arch Manning's coming. And if they do throw the ball more, as Connor said – I think it will be to try to attract Arch Manning. I think Georgia is chips all in on Arch Manning, and whoever gets the job next year will will be looking over their shoulder quickly. So, Jeff, do you think that Vandegrift is in a better position because he got to be scout team quarterback? And I'm honestly asking because I don't know. And the fact that, okay, so Stetson had a clear role. He was the starter. JT had a clear role. He was the backup getting 
some portion of the number one reps and gosh knows people have written eight gazillion words about what ratio that was, but um, he had kind of a role on this team. Vandergriff kind of had a role on this team. He was at least getting to be the, what Stetson Bennett used to be, the scout team quarterback that, you know, got to give Georgia a look, but it's sort of hard to know, well, what was Carson Beck doing while all this was happening? And like, does that hurt Carson Beck now knowing that at least to my mind, he was the only guy that sort of didn't really have a role uh, a lot last year. Yeah, you heard a lot of good things about Carson kind of coming down the stretch there for Georgia. Uh, I think I agree with Mike on like the the. I guess it would be the the one game playoff. You talked about that, the way you kind of phrased it that way. Because here's what I've noticed over the years with Kirby Smart: the freshman quarterback, the freshman players in general, they really go through some sort of grind. You can call it a gauntlet. You can call it like. I'd like to look, I like to think of it in my mind's eye as they go through some psychological warfare where they have to, if they figure out they're not the man, they get to get knocked down, their teeth knocked out a little bit by that uh, defense throwing pick after pick and scrimmages and everything else like that. And they figure out, no, I can't squeeze that ball in there. Or, no, I got to be more accurate right there. And I can't throw on the run and the balls are going to get knocked down. I think that first year for Georgia is very much a psychological year where they weather the heat. The, the fulcrum of the Georgia program. And I think that's one thing that Beck and both Vandegrift have trying to vie to be the number two there. Uh, you know, Beck and Vandegrift are both basically, I believe, the same age. They got kind of the similar things. Beck, Beck's got a, a little bit of everything. If, I know Brandon brings up Madden game football players a lot. I think Beck's kind of the guy that has 75 to 85 in most of those categories, even in, even in movement skills and everything else. You know, Brock is the son of a coach. You've got Beck, the son of a, uh, of a Navy man, a guy that started three years at linebacker for Navy, guy that tackled Jerome Bettis on the CBS Game of the Week, uh, his father. And you've got Gunner, also the son of a coach. I think Georgia is really well stocked, and it's just an example what we keep saying over and over. It's the Kirby Smart way. It let the practice field sort it all out because he's got that defense that basically eats those five-star quarterbacks for breakfast. And if you – can survive the mental reps and you can survive going through the gauntlet and dealing with these future first round picks everywhere you look and you come out of that with, you know, your head held high. I think that's what Kirby Smart really wants to see. And if a freshman can go through all that, then he knows he can play and win championships for his team at Georgia. And, you know, Connor, and we'll get ready to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, and I hate to say this, but when you put a guy out there that's never played before, we have recent history in Georgia suggests there's a chance it's just a disaster. I mean, Georgia yep. trotted out a guy that a lot of folks are really excited about seeing for week one against uh, Arkansas in 2020, and you better believe they were glad to have had Stetson Bennett that day. They're about to tote home an L if, if not. And that's the reason why a guy like Stetson is, um, is, is valuable here in that, yeah, listen, y'all love the idea of the guy you haven't seen kind of riding in on a white horse and, and, and being the prince that was promised here. But there's also the door that has the possibility of swinging the other way on that there as well. So old reliable could still be pretty valuable before it's all said and done. It's the classic, would you rather have a boat or in the mystery box? Anything could be in the mystery box. It could be a boat. And then sometimes that mystery box is a wild disappointment there. So, you know, I do think Stetson's probably your game one starter against Oregon next year. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. What if Stetson Bennett does get better? What if another year with Todd Munkin – you know, he sees more. He has more experience. Todd sort of talked about that in his run-up before the Alabama game. What if he does cut down on those turnover-worthy plays? What if he does continue to improve his deep ball? I, you know, 
again, it's going to be interesting to see how this all offseason plays out. But Stetson Bennett made big leaps from 2020 to 2021, and I'm not sure many people would have been saying that here this time a year ago. So why can't Stetson Bennett make another incremental improvement from this season to next season? Jeff, uh, go ahead. Hey, why, why can't Stetson rewrite his narrative? He's always going to be seen as the walk-on quarterback, even though he came back to Georgia on scholarship. or the Because people who were wrong will never admit it. Yeah. And, and you know, he, he's got something pretty better than a, a, a walk-on quarterback. He's the guy that quarterback Georgia the national championship. See how I didn't say that, friends, that he won the national championship game or led Georgia the national championship game? He's the guy that quarterback Georgia to a national championship. And I, I mean, I, this one I don't get. This is like silly mind games theater here, but like everybody didn't like Stetson because he was never going to be the guy to beat Alabama or to win the national title. And he's just done that. And now what are the new reasons people are finding to just eschew Stetson stage right? Yeah, no, I think that's kind of a fair question, to be honest with you. Uh, and it certainly sets up to be a very interesting discussion over the course of the uh, next few months. And, you know, listen, spring practice is going to be here before you. It's going to be before you know it. It's going to be pretty fascinating when it gets here. Let's uh, spend a couple of minutes here on other stuff before we're done. We'll do kind of rapid fire stuff related to comments. So y'all drop some, drop some questions in here and we'll try to talk some other stuff on the way out the door. Um, Mike, there's been kind of an interesting thing that's been going on with social media the last couple of days of, you know, Darnell Washington takes all the Georgia stuff off his account and he kind of puts it back on again. And I, honestly, I have no idea what to make of any of that. I sort of wish I didn't even know that much about his Instagram account, but, um, but one way or another, you know, we're obviously all interested in that. What do you think Washington's I guess thought process is right now, if you had to guess, I mean, I, like I said, I hate to even get that deep into, you know, what is not a, you know, it just it, rumor mill type stuff, but, but what do you think about the, the Washington thing right now? Well, I don't think it's news that, that Darnell hasn't been happy at times at Georgia and, and, you know, the kids had a tough time, you know, he came in with a knee injury and the conditioning was very difficult and, you know, Kirby was, was really on him. They really needed him in 2020 and they really pushed hard and, I thought towards the end of the year, uh, you know, he, he found a nice balance in that offense they were running. And, you know, then again, this year, the foot injury, right? The foot injury happens and that's got to be frustrating. And meanwhile, you know, Brock Bowers is setting record breaking numbers. I got to believe that probably adds, uh, adds to it a bit. Um, you know, Fitzpatrick leaving, I think basically makes Darnell the starter. I think uh, I'm sure he's being told, you know, he'll get plenty of targets and he's hearing all the right things, but you know, he's got people uh, just like all these other kids have represented. Could be mom, could be dad, could be uncle, could be family friend. And now that this NIL is out there, he's going to cost somebody some money. And and he's going to be willing to listen because he didn't get many targets this year, because he didn't have necessarily the best chemistry with Stet. That's not Stet's game. He's not a, you know, he's not the put it in the mailbox kind of guy, you know, uh, and Darnell's not a guy that gets great separation. You think about the one touchdown he had, there was a guy all over him. And he had to just kind of reach above him a foot. You know, that ball had to be thrown well by Stetson, and it was. Um, so there's, there's not a, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how he fits, how he feels he fits. But you're very, you know, the fact you noticed the, the, the Georgia stuff coming off, the Georgia stuff going on, you know, the Boost Mobile deal, uh, honestly, I think it's very fluid, to be frank with you. And he may and he may not. 
And I, it could change with one call tonight or may not change it all for the next two years. And he could be an All-American here. It's that wide of a range, in my opinion. So the comments are rolling fast. I like to read the names when I do the comments. I'm not going to be able to do that because I just can't remember them because they're moving so quick on the screen in front of me. Uh, Wendell, though, did ask Jeff about the 2022 signing class. Um, I guess it's a Shamar Stewart visit this weekend. Am, am I right about that? Uh, give me that quick update on what can still happen for Georgia, the Christian Millers, the Shamar Stewarts, the you know you want to talk about Jordan James, Dylan Bell, guys like that. Give me give me what's left for Georgia here very quickly. Obviously, we'll do more of this on Dog Nation Daily tomorrow, but give me what's left here for 2022 very quickly. Kirby uh, came and visited with Dylan Bell uh, this week in, uh, in Texas. Uh, Dylan Bell even tweeted out the all good sign. I'll see everybody on February the 2nd. Uh, basically, he, he, he had his place and his spot secured despite everything else. Now, Jordan James is going to get really interesting because Jordan's a guy that I think is going to take an official visit to Florida before, his, uh, before National Signing Day on the 2nd. Other schools are really coming at him. I think there's a strong bond there, a strong connection still with Georgia. I think it's a matter if if both parties want to see him be a bulldog, then he'll be a bulldog. Uh, Shamar Stewart, I think Georgia's running a bronze medal right now to both uh, Miami, I think, would be the lead dog there, followed by Texas A&M. Some of that NIL money is not going to get all the way out to South Florida, it seems like. Uh, the 2022 class, guys, I've, I've tried to I'm – not, I'm not here to be a sunshine pumper. It may sound like I'm a sunshine pumper because I, all I write about is recruiting. And, folks, Georgia's recruiting, it, I think, has never been better. And I've been watching and studying this and making it my life's work for the last five or six years. Georgia's never brought in players like this to check all the boxes except for the elite five-star receiver. I think this will be the most well-rounded class Georgia has ever had. It will allow Kirby to play the way he has always played. Uh, and I'm going to play tennis with this, Brandon. I I want to question back to the panel. Uh, have we seen the most polarizing transfer portal name off this Georgia roster? Do you guys believe it will be, will be Jermaine Burton, or do you know of anybody else that could portal out that would have more folks clutching now, their pearls? Washington will get people up. Washington will get people up in arms. In a weird way, the Washington thing will be worse if it were to happen than the Burton thing, I believe. Uh, it'll get people all fired up. Well, we'll no, I actually, I think the Burton news is more damaging, and maybe damaging is too strong a word. Yeah, no, I think Connor's but right. It Burton transferring hurts Georgia's twenty twenty two chances more than Darnell Washington's does. I think Connor's right about that, but I don't think the reaction would would match that. Oh, yeah. uh, I, th I think in a weird way. By the way, speaking of all this, uh, Kale and some others in the comment section, Connor mentioned uh, Avery Gilbert. I, I loved seeing Gilbert all smiles at the event this past Saturday, because Georgia did actually just win the national championship, uh, which was kind of a cool moment. Um, Gilbert was there. I talked to Terrence about that a little bit today. Terrence Edwards, uh, a mentor uh, of Arik. Uh Boy, fun to think about him being back in the, in the fold. Obviously, there's a lot of, that still has to happen with all of that. But, man, keep a good thought about that if you're a Georgia fan, right? Yeah, and again, there are a lot of guys on this Georgia team that I do think have a lot of upside, but – sort of like Gilbert, and we can make Gilbert the face of this, they've got to prove that they can get and stay on the field. Mm -hmm. uh, Arian Smith is a really talented player who's made an impact. The problem is he just hasn't been able to consistently stay on the field. Uh, you know, I'm as high as Do on Dominic Blaylock as anybody. He's got to yep. show that he can get and stay on the field and be healthy for this team, and I do think he can be a contributor. I'll include Kendall Milton in there as well, who's had some untimely knee injuries in his early career at Georgia, a guy who has sky-high potential. I think the story – the story, excuse me, of this 2022 offense, I believe that there, there's talent in this room. It's can they stay healthy enough and not just through spring but through August as well because you look at some of the guys 
that picked up injuries in that month of August this year. It just it, it never allowed them to get on track. I think Darnell is a name to throw in there. Jermaine Burton is a name. Kyrus Jackson had offseason knee injury and was very clearly not the same player that we saw in 2020. Uh, Tyke Smith, that foot injury, slowed him down the entire season. So I think because of that, I, I think the big thing with this 2022 offense, I do think there's room for this group to get better and improve, but there are a lot of question marks in terms of, and as Mike has said often, availability. What is that going to be like for some of these guys? So one final thing, Mike, this is for you. It comes in the comment section. Once again, I don't like getting into a bunch of rumor stuff, but it's, we're an hour and something to the show at this point in time. You know, it's sort of, you know, uh, all, all fair, I guess. At one point in time, there was rumor that Jamal Adai may be going somewhere and George already had his replacement picked out. That seems to just sort of disappeared into the ether. Whatever happened with all that? Or was that ever even real to begin with? Yeah, I'll be honest. Yeah, I, I don't really know. Um, I'm sure that with George winning the national championship that these coaches would have opportunities. But, um, uh, you know, as far as where Coach Adai is at, Look, it's no secret that Kirby is hard to work for, and and most great bosses at the collegiate level are. Football coaches are are not pushovers. There's a lot of demands there. Uh, you know, Kirby oversees the secondary. You've seen a lot of kids transfer out there. It's no picnic. Um, and 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 I remember talking to Mark D'Antonio about it, and and I think I told the story on your show Wednesday. The first year he was the secondary coach. He didn't even lead the meetings. He just listened to Nick Saban give the meetings. And then it wasn't until the second and third year that he really earned the trust. And I can't speak to that being the case of George. I don't know. But my guess would be Kirby would be similar to Nick Saban in that sense. Certainly the practices that Connor and I go to, he's extremely vocal. He's extremely hands-on. So the rumor wouldn't surprise me. At the same time, I don't have any firsthand information on it. And my guess would be that – you know, with all these great defensive backs that, that Jeff has, has told us about that are coming in, um, I, I would think more than likely that Coach Adai would have some connection or some commitment with some of those players. I promise we're going off the air, but just really quickly here, Connor, Jeff, anybody wants to, wide receiver coaching opening, is this a famous guy that we've heard of? Is this a guy we have to Google? And I guess the Munkin stuff with the possibility he might go be a play caller in the NFL. Any thoughts on that before we get ready to go? Jeff, I'll let you go first. I think the most likely scenario, at least what you're seeing right now, is you're getting a trial run with Buster Faulkner on the road. He's uh, he's kind of operating as, you know, and what happens there, you know, Munkin's probably specialty is the wide receivers. Maybe Munkin's position group emphasis is the wide receiver coach. Uh, and then uh, Buster Faulkner would be the quarterback coach where he has a lot of uh, comfort and experience and aptitude there. Uh, that way you got to figure out what you, what do you do? It, obviously you have Muschamp on the road. What happens with Scott Cochran? Muschamp becomes the, uh, the slot that uh, he took over the slot for Cochran. And then does Cochran take over the slot vacated by Dan Lanning? I think the one thing Georgia fans will probably want to hear about is just what sort of interest level uh, was given to Heinz Ward for this wide receiver position opening. Because I think there's a delicate balance of um, personality uh, that has to go across the Georgia coaching staff. I think, I just think that's the way it is. I think, you know, Cortez Hankton was a guy that was flamboyant. He was the guy jumping in and doing chest bumps in the air with his wide receivers. I think there's got to be some sense of you got to have a heck of a recruiter there. Not only a guy like, you know, Hankton's probably forte was just how excellent a communicator he was and how well he did community outreach and how well he, 
integrated with families and he was also a former NFL player. And I think those are all ways that Heinz Ward would be a brilliant, a brilliant thought to consider for Georgia as well. But to me, uh, the way that way the pieces are kind of moving and floating at this time, uh, I'm giving more credence to the thought that maybe Faulkner gets an on-field coaching position. Remember he came to Georgia from Southern Miss at a pay cut when he was an offensive coordinator, I believe at Southern Miss. I I think, you know, let me just give Connor the last word here, and then we'll get ready to wrap things up. I was going to say something, but it's going to open up another conversation. So let me just be quiet for now. Yeah, well, and Jeff hit the nail on the head there as far as I think the reading of the green when it comes to uh, the wide receivers coach. I actually want to talk about another player who uh, is moving on to the next level, and that's John Fitzpatrick. And, no, he's not some superstar recruit. He only had five catches this past year. But when we say the term DGD or damn good dog, uh, I think that wholeheartedly applies to John Fitzpatrick. Um I can tell you a little personal anecdote here. Every Thanksgiving, we go over to a family friend's house afterwards for dessert, game nights, whatever. And I come to find out that John Fitzpatrick uh, was at that house a few minutes before I had arrived there Mm. this Thanksgiving. And and the friend's house that we're at, their son, I believe, it is either muscular dystrophy or cerebral palsy or potentially both. But he is dealt with it his entire life. John Fitzpatrick, who went to the same school as two of his older brothers, who are both uh, Georgia graduates as well, Marist School brought over a signed jersey wow. with everyone on the team for Keenan Sullivan. It was a really wow. cool moment. Did not have to do that. Had to go back to Athens the next day and then Atlanta the day after that because it was the day before the Georgia Tech game. There are guys like that all throughout this roster. And John Fitzpatrick, one of the many damn good dogs on this team, set up the mm-hmm. DGD fund to sort of help and continue to grow the sort of outreach that Georgia has. So John Fitzpatrick, a true definition DGD on this team. That's really good, Connor. Really good stuff all the way around. So it's been a busy time here around Dog Nation. Obviously, a lot of guys coming in. I should say eventually some guys will probably be coming into the program for now. A couple of guys exiting out. DogNation.com has been the place to be over the last few days as everybody keeps you up to date on all of that. I'll also see you tomorrow morning for Dog Nation Daily. Looking forward to that. Going to get more into the recruiting stuff with Jeff Sintel there at the time. Hope all of you have a great weekend as we head towards that. And we'll look forward to seeing you again very soon here on Cover 4 Live. Have a great night.